I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. everybody and welcome to the third edition of the uh, Sinbin podcast. Uh, tonight we're going to review all the games that have taken place so far in the, the, the Rugby World Cup uh, and discuss all the things around those. I'm joined tonight by uh, George Berman in London. You're very welcome the, on the pod again, George. We are a regular. Hi, mate. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, sorry. You can't get rid of me at the moment. It's terrible. Oh, we're very glad. We're very glad to have you. All good with you? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Just nervous, nervous for this weekend, but um, but no, all good. Thanks. And joining us from Clonethley, we have Sam Evans, who was actually at the Wheels game here the other day, so we'll get a bit of an insight from him. You sobered up sufficiently, Mister Evans? Yeah, I'm not 100 actually. <laughs> Why does that <laughs> I, not I'm surprise still, me? Still slurring my words. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that not I made, surprise? I made them. Yeah. I made the terrible error of not booking Monday off work either, so that was that was interesting. <laughs> oh God, I can only imagine. I'm glad I'm not your boss. Put it like that. <laughs> and we have a new guy on the pod tonight. I'm very very happy to announce that we have Stephen Thomas uh, from Carmarthenshire. I'm sure I've said it wrong. I'm very sorry to all Welsh people. Uh, and he's joining us in the pod tonight for the first time, and hopefully joining us and to be a regular going forward. You're very welcome on the pod, uh, Stephen. Thanks. Thanks very much, Dean. I'm going to stay with you and, and maybe you can just give, uh, you know, it's your first time on the pod, give us a bit of an idea about how you started following rugby, who you follow, favourite players, etc. Uh, floor is yours, far away. Yeah, um, my name's Stefan, as you just said, I'm, I'm from um, Armandford, it's a town in, in Carmarthenshire within um, Scarlet's rugby region. Basically, um, you know, the, the sort of area I come from, it's, it's an old school um uh, traditional Welsh valley um, rugby, um, you know, is is a big part of all of that that area. And I, I played rugby um, up until the age of probably about twenty. Um, I grew up um, supporting Llanelli, the Scarlets, um, obviously the, the very famous club. They, they've suffered a bit um, over the past five or six years due to financial constraints, and you know, consequently, they haven't been able to. Um, 
to to um, stay in touch with the with their clubs in Europe, but they they're my um they're, that's where I come from. Um, I write for a rugby blog called Rucktail. Um, we do all sorts of stuff. I've I've interviewed some international players, some regional players, done a lot of grassroots rugby. We do opinion pieces, um, analytical pieces. We we do a lot uh, of of that sort of thing. And uh, also, I'm a trainee journalist um, studying um, newspaper journalism at Cardiff University, and uh, I think that's about it. That's that's great. And your insight in the pod will be invaluable to us, um, you know. And and as I say, going forward, you're going to be very welcome to join us. But let's get let's get straight down into it. Uh, and the first point, uh, there's no real agenda tonight, gents. But the first real point I want to make is is our, our good South African friend Brent, who has has gone into hiding. It appears <laughs> after the uh, the Japan defeat. Um, as I say, he, he he was I think he, he was ill the night the first night we were meant to do it, and uh, and then Skype let us down yesterday. Was say with uh, it was a worldwide outage on Skype, so we we couldn't record yesterday. So here we are today. But uh, he has other arrangements. So hopefully he's deferred his uh, his roasting until Friday. Uh, the New Zealanders, I'm sure, will have something to say to him. But uh, getting str- we'll, we'll start on that point, and, and I'll come to George first. Uh, as shocks go, they don't really get any bigger, do they, mate? It, I was driving, actually, because I was... Um I was dropping my brother down um, to start university on Saturday, and I was driving back in the car, and I got it on five live on the radio. And uh, you just think it's one of those things where, you know, these games, sometimes they're close, but you think, you know, they'll see it out. And I think, you know, towards the end, they, they got a penalty and knocked it over and then about five minutes and you thought, right, you know, they'll just, um, they'll calm it down. I'm sure they'll get the job done. But it was just, just unbelievable. Um, and they just looked absolutely shell-shocked. There was nothing they could do about it. Um, the Japanese were just making such easy yards in contact. Um and sort of it, uh, considering the size of this African pack, really kind of beating them up physically, which is um, pretty remarkable given that I think the Japanese are one of the smallest sides of the tournament. Um, so, whoa, it's just fantastic for the sport. You know, Eddie Jones and Steve Borswick who have been coaching them have clearly done a pretty phenomenal job. And, uh, you know, we're all talking about Poulet as being the one that was going to be sort of very exciting for the group stages, but how great for the tournament that we've now got Scotland, Samoa, South Africa, Japan, and the US who are, who are no mugs either, all in that group now. And you know, I think it's anyone's best guess as to um as 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 to the order of um of you know who will finish where in that group. Um so just, just great for the tournament and um just an inc- an incredible achievement really. Indeed, I'm gonna throw and cross it to Stefan. Um, what, what were your thoughts on it, and, and do you see a recovery? Do you, th- do you, do you see the sort of the, the wounded animal now for, for, for the Springboks? Because I think for my money, I, I'm very glad that we're nowhere near them, or Ireland's nowhere near them, because there could be a reaction to this one. Do you think that's a, that's a fair one, fair shout? Yeah, very much so. Um, I was just thinking, um, after the game, actually, um, I really wouldn't like to be um, the next side to play the Springboks, because you just... Obviously, it was a hugely embarrassing episode for them. Um, you know, they're a proud rugby nation, the, the two-time World Cup winners. And if you look around this squad, if you just look at the quality of play they've got and just the sheer physicality of their side, you know, that that is a side on paper that could potentially win the World Cup. And this sounds an absolute daft thing to say because they have lost to Japan. But if they can get a big win again and then get through the pool, you know, when you get to the knockers, you're all better off. And for me... 
as as absurd as it seems, they're still contenders to win this World Cup. So I definitely think that you know that that we haven't seen the last of the Springboks. But in terms of, of Japan's win, um, I was watching I was watching the Ireland game against Canada before it, and obviously um, you know Ireland won easily. Canada were never in the game; they, they never challenged. And um, you know I, I was thinking to myself that you know. This world, what this World Cup needs is a big upset. You know, we see it in the soccer World Cup. You know, we've seen numerous so-called minnows beat the Giants, but that hasn't really happened in rugby. Okay, Fiji have beaten Wales in the past, um, but you know they have um, some world-class players themselves. But to see Japan, um, you know, beat the Springboks, not not a Six Nations, but the Springboks, you know, it was just phenomenal, and, and that's that is really what the competition needed because it's really brought a different dimension to the competition because now, you know, the so-called favourites coming to the competition, like Argentina nearly beat Albus, for example, nobody's safe. And that unpredictability is a, is a huge bonus for the competition, I feel. Yeah, I think, you know, as George said, everybody expected in the last 20 minutes the box were going to raise the game um, and walk over them, which which wasn't the case. And, and as you rightly said, we're, we're going to talk about New Zealand later on, but that was the difference. The All Blacks... And I'm Irish and I'm, I have all the scars of this. The last 20 minutes, they just raise the game and run over you. Sam, for you, uh, d- 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 number one, did you get to see it? And uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? It's it one of those games where you just put on in the background and just think you know exactly how it's going to pan out. And you're just thinking, you know, 50 points, something along those lines. And then as the game progressed, you were like, well, hang on, there's 20 minutes gone here and they're still in the game. And just... Every time you thought the Springboks were going to pull away, somehow Japan just found something else and got back into it. And I think that's a big sport. I, I've never celebrated a try scored by another nation as much as I did with that Japan try. Absolutely. I was on my own Spot in the lounge. Honestly, God, I was on my own in the lounge. I got no affinity with Japan, as you might have guessed. And I was just in the lounge and I was jumping up and down like a lunatic. And I didn't know what to do with myself as if Wales just won. I think that's the joy of sport for you. The fact we can get behind the underdog. And, you know, I thought we'd never see a shock in... We never see shocks in Test Rugby to this extent anymore. You know, in... In, in football, it might happen where a goalkeeper has a stormer and, you know, they keep the good side out and there's an own goal and freak incident, 1-0 win. In rugby, there's just a line. You know, if, if there's a team that's that dominant, then 95% of the time they're going to win the game. So it's a massive shock. Uh, one thing I just picked up on the website, they got a list of top six World Cup shocks and it's just so depressing to see Wales are on its three times out of six. Um, if I just run through them quickly, you had Samoa beat Wales 38-31 in 99. Fiji beat Wales in 2007, 38-34. France beat New Zealand 43-31 in 99. Uh, Samoa 16, Wales 13-91. Uh, Tonga 19, France 14, 2011. But then, you know, this one just stands out an absolute mile. If those were shocks, this is a different world. So, yeah, really, Jeff Japan, and like to echo a bit what Stefan said earlier as well about South Africa, they couldn't have timed it better, really, because this is the first World Cup where they're actually getting bonus points. And they're still in, you know, they're only two points behind Japan, even though they've just lost to them. So, you know, the, the Right in there still, and you know you can have a blip and get away with it in the group stage. So I wouldn't write them off just yet. 
Uh, indeed, definitely not. Some great points you're making there. George, I'm going to come back to you again. Um, you know, there was, there was no lack of uh, experience. You know, with Victor Matfield on 38 years of age, I thought he, you know, Matfield didn't have a bad game. Uh, but j- just from, from the South African point of view, because I was talking to Brent actually during and, and after, um, and I say now he will be on uh, the next podcast, but he was was very much critical of, of my favourite, and it's a player we all know from the Pro 12, uh, Ruan Pinar, and, and he seemed to say that, that Pinar was was the reason that everything was so slow. Would would, would you back that up? Because I, I know you watch these things quite closely. I, I think Pinar's an interesting one because he, you know, his main strengths are his, his place kicking is very good. He's a very intelligent rugby player. Um, and his tactical kicking out of hand is very strong. Um, and I think, you know, especially playing for Ulster on a kind of rainy Friday nights under the lights down at Ravenhill, um, you know, his accuracy putting the ball up, boxing, kicking it has been pretty um pretty outstanding and that's that's been a really big thing for them um i think the difficulty with test rugby is that you just have that step up in tempo and i think what you've seen with wales leaving out mike phillips initially from the squad is the importance now of having someone who can really get the ball away quickly from the base of the ruck um and and just you know it allows the team to play increases the um the speed at which you're recycling the ball and you can stretch the fences Maybe the way Pienaar plays is a little bit languid. You know, he he does look as if he's kind of easing through games. Um, I think the difficult thing with South Africa is they've got Frida Prier, who, who's probably the first choice coming back from injury, who um, was, you know, clearly the best scrum half in the world when South Africa won the World Cup in 2007. Um, so in comparison to Prier, you know, maybe he's he's just not quite at the same level for them. Um, but but as you say, you know, it, it was a good enough team to get the job done. I was surprised when I looked back at the lineup. I kind of only glanced at it in midweek. Um, how many first choice, you know, what I'd consider to be first choice players they'd left out. I counted eight. Um, you know, they didn't play uh, Vili Larue. They didn't play JP Peterson. Um, I was really surprised they went with Pat Lambie at ten instead of Andre Pollard. Um, and then. They've got Vernon Alberts and Dwayne Vermeulen to come back in in the back row and Evan Etzler didn't play in the front row either, uh, in, in the second row, sorry. Um, so they did leave a lot of players out. It can be very difficult when you've got a fractured side like that to, to get any sort of continuity or accuracy in your game. I think, you know, you see with Wales, whenever they take key players out of their side, their, their performance is pretty shallow, really, um, as, as it was on Sunday. Um, so... I think they just underestimated them, you know, and I, I think Brent spoke about, we spoke about it on the Southern Hemisphere Review pod. They've got a big issue with John de Villiers, who's been coming back from injury um, and has kept uh, Damien Dialenda out the side at 12 for the Japan game. Um, I picked the box before, before the start of the tournament as winners. Um, so I'm feeling slightly silly now. No, I, I, I don't think they'll lose either game in the pool. I think they, as you know, Stefan said, I think they very conceivably could win it. Um, but they need to get the selection right. Um, and they need to stop taking their front row off after 50 minutes, which seems to be a, um, a pre-match tactic. They did it against Australia in the Rugby Championship, were well up in the game and ended up losing. Um, so that's just bizarre. I, 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 you know, they need to stop doing that. Um, so look, you know, they, they obviously did round too many players um and 
you know, sort of England went in full blown against Fiji on Friday night, didn't play particularly well, and it was looking a bit sketchy for them at one point in the game, um, even though they put out a full strength side. So you know, underestimate the uh, the lesser sides at your peril. Yeah, indeed. Stefan, for you, um, you know, on the back of what George is saying there, for, for me, I, I just wonder, did, did the, uh, the South Africans basically, you know, they put out a weaker side and they didn't really give enough respect to the, the Japanese, you know, and, and albeit that the reputation of the Japanese doesn't really warrant those full... They should have won with what they had, but do you feel there was complacency in the preparations that, that, that might have played a part? Um. It's very difficult to see because ultimately the only people that know whether their preparations were good enough or not are the other players and, and the coaches. But certainly, um, you know, as George uh, George said, um, you, know, you looked at us African side going into the game, um, and it was surprising that a couple of first teamers, so first teamers, went went in the squad. Um, you know, the likes of Kim Van Bibelen. Uh, I know he's been injured recently, but he probably missed game time. Will Rue probably. If I was Heineck I would have had him on the bench because he is the sort of player, if you're in trouble, he's the sort of player that can score try out of absolutely nothing and he can turn a game in his head. And I think that game would have suited him down to the ground. And I'd go as far as to say if Leroux came off the bench, let's say 20 minutes ago, it could have changed the result. So there were a couple of players that um, perhaps with hindsight they should have selected. But you know, having said that, you know, it's a long competition if you want to win it. You know, um, you know, it's all about your squad, and on paper, there probably wasn't one Japanese player that should have got into that Springbok side. You know, it, it, it was a, a vastly superior South African side on paper, and, and there were just absolutely no excuse for, for the you know for the performance and, and the result that they put in on, on the weekend. No, absolutely. I hear you on that. I, I would go as far as saying that there wouldn't be a Japanese player even making the bench, never mind the, mind, mind the first side. Uh, Sam, for you, um, do you see them losing again or do you think this is this is the sufficient kick up the ass that they were going to need? Um, and, and you know, I, I tweeted out actually during towards the end of it, um, you know, in, in, the, in the dying seconds, what are you thinking if you're Scottish watching this? <laughs> and a few choice replies came out. They're shitting themselves. You know, they just don't know what to make of it. Uh, but I, I, I just think that the Springboks will, will will bounce back, and I don't, I can't see them losing. Would you agree with that, Sam? Yeah, if that doesn't give them a kick up the ass, I don't know what will. Uh, but you know, after after this weekend of games, you start looking at that pool a bit differently. You know, originally we were we were saying, you know, Wales, England, Australia. Obviously, that's the group of death. But there's no extremely weak teams in that group whereas you know we've got Uruguay in our group um, you know they've got USA can give people a game you know they're, they're a big physical team Scotland must be really starting to worry now um, one thing I will say though is Scotland have got the advantage that Japan have to play again uh, I think it's tomorrow isn't it it's Wednesday game and yeah it's Scotland, a very short I mean, break very play, very yeah. very short break yeah, it's, you you got to feel for Japan there because you know then this World Cup seems to be almost fav. It, it's a bit of favoritism towards the the big nations, you know. J- Japan now smaller nation when it comes to rugby, and you know they've got a big disadvantage here. You know, playing again so soon, whereas England and Wales, for instance, you know they got the week to wait before the second game. So you know that's something there. But um, going back to the point about South Africa you still expect them to do the business. And because there are bonus points on offer, that gives them always a chance to be clawed back, you know. So still expect them to be up there. But 
maybe they'll have to do with second place now. Well, you, you never. It's going to be. Uh, to be honest with you, what do you see of the Japanese? What do, what, what do you see of their fortunes in their next games? Um, do you see this as an isolated shock, or can you see this being, a, you know, a motivation for them going forward that, that, that they might suddenly become a little bit more dangerous? Certainly, teams are going to look at them in a different way after that result. Yeah, well, Shane Williams went across to Japan, didn't he, on a really big money contract, and I think it was a bit of a a David Beckham to LA Galaxy esque attempt to increase the interest in rugby in Japan. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen that video on Facebook of a Japanese fan meeting Shane Williams and you having photos with him. I'll I'll tweet it later for you. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, the guy nearly has a heart attack. He's so excited to meet him. So I don't know um, if if there's enough interest with the Japanese, you know, they've got enough population there um, to actually become a bit more of a force in rugby. You never know, you know, uh, with that kind of performance, and got a good coach in there as well. Um, you know, there's no reason why they can't do it again against Scotland. No, I hear you. There was you were talking about things on social media. I saw a lovely one actually. There was a Japanese fan at the Ireland game, um, and they carried him. I think uh, they carried him around the stadium. The Irish fans carried him around the stadium, full circle on their arms. Are you know raised above their heads? And I just thought it was a really you know that's that's just rugby. You know what I mean? It's just lovely. It's just a real nice story, and and that's the type of of, of support. You know, it's so different from from the football and whatnot, and and it's what the Rugby World Cup's all about. You know, I've been to two of them. And I'm just so I'm so mad that I'm not there at the minute. You know, all the build up and everything to it is is just amazing on the television. And you see, when you can't actually be part of it, it just it does your head in. But listen, I've got three passionate Welshmen with me. Um, it would only it wouldn't be fair if we didn't come to Wales next. Um, George, go ahead. The floor is yours. Tell us tell us what you made of your game. Uh, you, you you had a pretty easy time of it. Not no real shocks. Few injuries picked up. What, what's your spin on it? Um, I, th- I thought it was pretty shambolic, to be honest. Um, and it might sound like a strange thing to say, um, given that you put fifty points on a side, but um, I thought it was really poor. Um, the the number of handling errors was just like I think Wales turned the ball over twenty two times in the game. I mean, that's a staggering stat. Um, it's just just not good enough, really. So, I, I think you see so much of the time, um that you know when you take key guys out of the Wales side um you take Alan and Jones out you take Roberts out you take you know maybe Dan Bigger out they just you just don't have the depth to replace them um and we really struggle with without that drive from from you know key players in key areas so um I thought we lacked direction um I, I thought as I said some of the handling the passing just you know real basics was really poor um on the plus side i thought Hallam Amos played really well on the left wing um he's slightly raw but he's really really talented has great feet um handy left boot as well good left foot to kicking option which we don't have after Jonathan Davies got injured um and Alex Cuthbert struggled again he struggled for months so um fingers crossed that Amos will get the nod to play against England on um on the wing with George North, I think that's a potentially really important decision. I just think Cuthbert's been struggling for confidence for such a long time and defensively he's a real liability. So um, that was a plus. I think a lot of the chat coming out of the Wales camp was that that was a bit of a trial on Sunday to see who got the nod on the wing against England. Um, otherwise, again, you know, Justin Brick played really 
well. I think you know, there's not really anything that we don't already know. He's a seriously talented guy. Um, he won't play against England. He'll be on the bench um, because we'll go with the tried and trusted back row, which for me is the right decision. Um, I think Dan Lydia is just hugely important to, to pretty much everything Wales do. Um, gets low, you know, his, his work rate is just incredible tackles and gives opportunities for guys like Ethan Jenkins and Sam Warburton to get over the ball and um, and win turnover penalties. Um, so, so look, no, I think it's completely pointless to try and read anything into that Wales performance. There were so many guys rested. Um, it's always difficult first game of the World Cup against the side who you know you're going to beat. Um, and, I, you know, it wasn't that surprising. They didn't play particularly well. Um, so, game against England will be completely different. There's no reading anything into the game on Sunday. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, you know, shame to see a few more guys get injured, but um, thankfully no on front line. I think Liam Williams and Samson Lee are going to come through okay for the weekend, which is a massive positive. So, um, so yeah, no, po- positive generally, if um, not particularly impressive. That's cool. Uh, and I'll go and come across to Stefan. I know Sam was at the game, so I'm purposely coming to him last. Uh, Stefan, what, what did you make of the Welsh? Um, were, were you satisfied with it? Where do you see the areas of improvement? What do you feel about the injuries? Um, what, what, what did you see? Yeah, similar to George, really. Um, I was um, <coughs> a little bit underwhelmed with the performance. Um, obviously, um, you know, there were certain players like Sam Warburton, um, Sam Lee, you know, certain players that were quite clearly holding back for the England game, so that's got to be taken into consideration. But I just thought it was a perfect opportunity to hit the ground running and build some momentum. And if you look at the, the Welsh squad on paper, it is a side that is capable of beating England and Australia. They need a bit of luck, of course, and it's on the day. But it's quite conceivable that Wales will beat either England or Australia and then lose to the other one, and it'll come down to points difference. And personally, um, you know, I, I don't think their points differential is going to be good enough, so... After this game, I, I I would have thought that Wales would probably have to beat both England and Australia to to progress. Um, but looking at the game, um, I watched the Ireland game on Saturday, and we all know I know Canada were fairly weak. But you look at some of the passing that the Irish players, um, you know, you look at their basic skill set. You look at Jonathan Sexton. You look at the coherence and the familiarity and, and the skill level of their backline. Um, and it, and it was class. But you look at Wales and. You know, they're a side that's conditioned to to physically outmuscle their opposition. You know, there are talented ball players there, like Scott Williams, like like Harlem Amos, as George said, played very well. But the handling errors were just too much and they just weren't accurate enough. And I think Wales are a side, you know, they got a very, very strong pack when everybody's fit. They're probably the best exponents of break and play in the Northern Hemisphere with Sam Warburton uh, and Dan Lidiot there. But the difference between Wales and, you know, maybe the Southern Hemisphere nations is they don't have their ruthless edge about them. I feel if they are going to win a Twickenham, they're going to have to take their chances. They look, I look at the Welsh side going, the potential Welsh side going to Twickenham. I think Samson Lee is huge. I think if he plays and he's fit, they've got a good chance of, of at least gaining parity in the scrum. And if the Welsh, if the Welsh pack and gain parity up front, they do have the better back row and they do have the firepower of Dwight to win the game. But it's just those basic skills, those those little little things that they need to get right. Um, because if they don't, if they do um, fluff a couple of chances like they did against Uruguay, then um, 
you know, they, the likelihood is they will win the game, but um, they've got it in them that they just need to be a lot more accurate and a lot better what they're doing. No, I hear you. And you know, from from a neutral, like I'm, I'm, I'm the the only <laughs> the non Welsh in, in this pod. I couldn't pick a winner. From what I've seen, I couldn't pick a winner between uh, England and Wales going forward. Just couldn't. But I'm going to come across to Sam, and and I'm sure you you've bits to add. But I'm I'm more curious uh, if you give us a rundown, basically, on your day and and your experience, because you were actually at the game. What was Cardiff like? What was your build up like? So on. Give us a, give us a little bit of insight for 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 those who of us who were unfortunate enough not to be there. The the, the build up uh, was very much pubs and beer, to be honest with you, which is <laughs> no real change. Um, a really good atmosphere in Cardiff, despite the fact it was just a Uruguay game. Uh, caught the train up, standing room only. Um, you know, I thought it might have been a bit quieter being Uruguay, but now just as much as usually is on a Six Nations game. Uh, got to the game about eight pints down and we made a conscious decision to have one pint per half. But then we had one pint in the first half and then one of the boys bought us another two pints each. So it turned into a four-pint match. So uh, my recollection of the game is a bit hazy, so bear with me. Um regards to the game itself, you know, I think we were torn between... We, we didn't want to get any more injuries. So we, we've, we've rested a few key personnel... I'm not 100% sure whether that was a good idea or not because uh, there's benefits actually starting your best 15 even against the team like Uruguay to get some things clicking because we're really not clicking at the moment. You know, that game against Italy was a bit of a shambles before the World Cup so I, I think we could have done with having some of the big boys in the team just to get some of the plays working uh, before the England game rather than going in rusty. But again, you know, we had a list of injuries from this game yet again. You know, some of them not so serious. You know, Liam Williams is going to pull through apparently. And But Corey Allen, for instance, now scores a hat-trick, man of the match, out for the World Cup. So you can understand in a way why they rested these boys. But I think it might be to our detriment when it comes to the England game now because England of the team now have had a proper warm-up game before our game. They got really tested with Fiji. Got a bit lucky in the end with the scoreline. They did to win, but a bit of a bigger margin than than was actually deserved. You know, Fiji were a good test for them. Um, regards to the actual Uruguay game itself, you know, I think we we were in we didn't get our second gear. You know, we went six 0 down and we weren't even slightly worried. It was just one of those ones, a matter of time. So it's hard to read much into it, but you know, we got fifty points on the on the board. As Stefan said, it's a big concern. England have got Uruguay last. They're going to know exactly what they're going to need to do if it does come down to that. And you know, they, they could easily put 100 on them. So that is a bit of a concern. Um, I do want to apologise as well. On the last pod, I emphasised how important Lee Halfpenny was <laughs> um, before the World Cup. And then I completely jinxed him and got him injured. And he had the same injury as me, the cruciate knee. Um so apologies for that, boys, but I do think Dan Bigger can step up and his kicking is nearly as good. So we're going to be all right. And we've got an able deputy at nine as well with Gareth Davis stepping in. He's a big try threat, as we saw against Uruguay. So I think we might be all right. Uh, indeed. Listen, uh, there was a question that I've been dying to ask you, um, uh, you, you know, s- since the game. And having been in the Millennium Stadium, I've been there. I was there once for uh, the Ireland-Wales game with the roof closed. And I mean, your national anthem... You know, it it just it fucking rocked me. That's that's the I just standing in awe of it. 
it on the television in this game, Sam, it seems so mundane. Was it like that in the ground? Uh, you know, I know television masks an awful lot of the atmosphere, but normally on television, even you know, it comes through so much. Story. The Welsh voices are not normally that quiet. Did it appear quiet in the ground, or is it just a television blip? No, there was there was a noticeable difference, right? I've um, my grandfather bought like fifty adventures about forty odd years ago, so we've always sat in the same seat in the ground. Um, for this particular game, uh, we we sat in completely different area and I said to my brother when I sang the anthem I could hear mine and my brother's voice while we were singing it so I don't know if it's because it's a World Cup game and there's a lot of people from different nations just go into any game but there was a noticeable difference in the the, the volume when it came to the national anthem and in the game itself Um, I don't think it's because I was in a different area of the stadium I do think it might be because of the World Cup and it was a Uruguay game, and maybe there was a mixture of nations uh, supported there because there were tickets available. I don't know. No, indeed. And I just want to—I just want to say—I was quite quite impressed with with the Uruguayan nine and ten. Anybody want to add anything on them? Yeah, I thought I thought they were um, it was fairly impressive. Um, you know, obviously um, the ten um, kicked his kicks a goal, um, but the, the one, one play that was quite impressive was their six. Um, the Bowen says, you know, he's, he's a big boy and he's into he's into everything, and uh, you know, he, he, he was getting into the players, uh, the way players skins a little bit. But you know, in, in terms of Uruguay, they're, they're all in the arm. It's, a, it's not like Japan, where okay, they're, they're perceiving those, but most of the players get paid for a living and they've got a lot of imports, you know, like Michael Leach from the, from the Chiefs and what have you. But you know, Uruguay are in the arm, uh, most of them work kind of up the you know, are not paid for the Cup, um, etc. So, in, in terms of their effort and how they they kept the score down, uh, you know, you've got to give them a lot of credit for that. No, absolutely. And that, that, that was the point I actually wanted to make. Um, so, moving on then um, to, to the old enemy, so to speak. Um, we'll come to Ireland next, but first we'll, we'll, we'll pay a visit to England. Um, George, what, what, what did you make of the... I wasn't overhawed by them at all and and you know if i was welsh i'd certainly be going we can get it this lot you know we definitely can get it this lot what, what, what do you think yourself you know it's difficult mate. I, I watched the game with um with with a load of my mates all all english boys and um i felt really confident afterwards um i said so much i just thought they were poor um and you know the, the scrum was the, the referee gave England quite a lot, um, despite the fact that Joe Marlowe was scrummaging completely illegally. He was scrummaging on the angle cross onto the um, the Fijian hooker, um, which which you can't do. So I, I hope that um, Jerome Garcia's who's refereeing the game on Saturday, has had a look at that and is going to watch out because um, you know he should he should be getting penalised for that every time he's going forward that way. Um, I thought that you know they really struggled in phase play to to trouble the Fijians. I didn't think they really hurt them that much. You know, I thought obviously Mike Brown had a really good game from the back and made a lot of meters. Um, was no no big surprise there. Um, he's a very good player, um, but I do think they've got an issue with Barrett at twelve. He, he's not really an offensive threat. He doesn't hold defenders, so it's difficult for um, for them to create space on the outside. Um, and I, I thought the pack were, you know, pretty poor. I, I, I still think that the back row is, is underwhelming. Um, 
you know, Wood and Robshaw are quite similar players, really. Um, and, you know, it all comes back for me, the fact that Robshaw should be playing at six. I don't think he's a seven. Um, he's a great work rate, makes so many tackles, but I, I just don't think he affects the game enough um, in terms of getting on the ball um, or in terms of linking play. Uh, the players on the open side. Um, halfbacks were flat. I think this is again the, the, the issue you have with George Ford is that if he's not really, really front foot from a dominant pack, can you get at him? Um, I, I think I think Wales will relish the chance to really kind of put him on pressure. Um, you know, if you ask me now, would you rather have Owen Farrell playing or, or George Ford from a Welsh perspective? Then it would be Ford every day because. You know, Ford can be special, but I don't think the England pack are going to be dominant enough uh, to give him the platform. Um, and he's also not got a second receiver outside him. Um, George, George to just, kind of- to, just to stop you there, there's, a, there's another aspect in, in, in regards to Ford as well. You know, certainly I'm actually getting uh, English commentary here um, through ESPN. I'm actually getting ITV's commentary. And the amount of pressure that this guy is getting, if if, if, if this commentary is anything to go by um, in the media back home, the expectation that's on Ford could, could actually be to his own detriment. Do you think that's fair? I think, you know, what people sometimes forget about him, because he's just such a talented guy who's been playing, came through for Leicester and then, wasn't getting the team there ahead of Toby Flux, so I moved to Bath and, you know, Bath has been probably the best side to watch in England um, for the last season. Uh, they just play great rugby on the front foot. Um, it's that people forget that he's really young still um, and he's not actually had that much exposure to international rugby. You know, I think someone like Farrell's been on a Lions tour and I, I thought he improved immeasurably um, after that tour, just in terms of getting a little flatter and um, I thought his distribution improved. So, I think the thing about Farrell is, and you know, there's talk now, um, they're saying they think Jonathan Joseph might not be fit, which would be a huge loss to the way England play, because um, he's their real creative spark, um, has improved massively defensively in that channel as well. So, um, you know, there's talk they might play Farrell at 12, move Barrett to 13 um, if Joseph isn't fit, which limits you hugely in terms of how you're going to play. Um, I think defensively, you're not going to be that much of a threat. So you're very reliant on your pack to to really beat the opposition up. Um, so, so look, no, I think there's tons of pressure on forward and what you expect traditionally of an English pack is to be very strong in the set piece. You know, they've got issues at the line out, which is why they're picking Jeff Parling um, because he runs the line out for them. But then there's a lot of talk. They might bring Joe Launchbury in now as well, because they're worried Parling's not, uh, not physical enough in the loose, especially against, you know, a Welsh pack that, the whole world game is built on basically bullying teams physically, getting the ball around the corner and winning the collisions. Um, so I think there are just lots of questions, but then you get to. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The end of the weekend, uh, and you see some of the results that have happened. And England have beaten a very dangerous Fijian side and taken a bonus point. So, you know, I think in terms of the result, it was fantastic for them. But there are big concerns in terms of the performance level. Um, and I think I do think Wales can get at them. I really do think they can. Um, it's so difficult to call, but um, I'll be really interested to see what they do section-wise. The Joseph thing is huge, and then Vudipola might come in for Morgan. Um, so I think when the team sheets come out on Thursday, that will be really revealing. Um, but definitely concerns as to how they want to play. I don't think they're that clear as to how they want to play, which, given that Lancaster has been there for a while, um, isn't really right. Um, so... Look, I think the opportunity is there for Wales to go out and win this game, even though a lot of people don't really seem to expect that's going to happen. Um, so, yeah. No, I, w- I would agree with you there. You know, as I say, it's very, very difficult for, from a neutral point of view to pick a winner in that game. There's so many different permutations that, that, that can happen. Stefan, for you, what, what did you think of the English? Were, were you underwhelmed, overwhelmed? Or are you cautious for Wales? Or, or do you think, you, st- you, you know, you do stand a good chance against them? I think, um, you know, I, I think Fiji got to a lot of credit for the way they performed in that game. You know, being a Welshman, um, I've lost count of the amount of times that, you know, we've, we've played at one of the South Island nations, you know, in, in the Orta, for example, and you know, we've been expected to win comfortably. And, and ultimately, we've, we've been in a dogfight, and, and sometimes we've even drawn or lost the game, as we famously did, or infamously did in 2007 with the Cup. But, you know, I, I look at England. I got a lot of respect for Lancaster's done. Um, he's he's obviously a man of values. He's he's a man that that's put his his um, you know, the culture of the side first. Um, you know, that was evident in, in not selecting Stefan Armitage. You know, a player who you know who would have um made that England pack a lot better, I think. But yeah, I look in terms of the game on Saturday. In terms of England. Uh, I disagree with George a little bit. I, I do think that George Ford is the better player um, over Owen Farrell. Um, yes, obviously Farrell is strong in defence, so if Wales did get on the front foot, um, you know, obviously he's not going to fancy attacking Jamie Roberts in, in full flight, is he? But, you know, Ford is a wonderful footballer. He's got a lot more peripheral vision than, than uh, Owen Farrell. He brings a striker into the game, and he's partly the reason that Jonathan Joseph has been playing so well because it's his vision and his passing game that's, that's putting him in space. So if England do get on the front foot and if they do get chances, they're far more likely to take those chances if George Ford is playing. But England's strength is the pack, it's the set piece. And, and the worry for England is Tom Young's is thrown in. Now, I'm not a fan of Dylan Hartley as a player. I think he's vastly overrated. He's got a terrible disciplinary problem and he doesn't offer that much in the loose. But as as a set piece hooker, he's the best England have available. 
And to not have Atlier, I never thought I'd, I'd hear myself say this, is a huge blow to England. I know it's just because of his discipline and they have the option of bringing him back in. But if Tom Young doesn't um, doesn't hit his targets in the line-out, uh, and if he does, if they don't get that driving line-out going, which, which they are world-class at, and they took away the cleaners in that aspect of their game in um, you know in the Six Nations, then um, you know then then we've got a chance. And as, as I said earlier, you know. A lot depends on, on the Welsh scrum. You know, Samson Lee is, is a phenomenal scrummager. Um, there are question marks of his fitness, but for a 22-year-old prop, you know, he's just got a perfect body body size for a prop. He's short and he's squat, and, and he's the sort of guy that could give Marla a really torrid day, and certainly Mark of Unipola, who's, who's not a great scrummager. But the, the, the key man for Wales over Samson Lee is Gethin Jenkins. Jenkins has never been renowned as a scrummager. You know, he, he's one of the the greatest props of modern era in terms of his contribution around the field and, and he still does that to an extent. But if Jenk is going to hold up his side of the scrum and and, and if the Welsh set piece is good, you know, if if they, they can get their driving line up going, which is which is quite handy as well. And if that front five gains parity, as I said, they have the edge at the breakdown. Warburton is a, a comfortably a better open side than, than Chris Robshaw. And then it is you know if they, if they dominate the breakdown, if they gain parity up front, they do have individually the firepower to win the game but the problem is from what I've seen over the last couple of months England are far more comfortable with the ball than Wales Wales have the players to hurt England but they need to be a lot more accurate and they need to play with you know a lot more confidence then than they did against Uruguay they, when it's on they need to play heads up rugby they need to take you know t- take their opportunities obviously first things first they need to win that battle up front and, and they shouldn't go away from the so-called war and ball tactics, but they do need to develop their game. And I, I just fear that you know we, we'll see a hell of a performance in the Welsh pack. They step, they come out like banshees, right? They, you know they'll be up for this game. You know, any side coach by Warren Gatland, who's got their backs against the wall, will come out fighting. And Wales will do that on the weekend. I just worry whether you know they look at their backs and it doesn't look like they've done much ball work in, in training, and then they leave opportunity slip. If Wales Game parity up front and, and, and a clinical going scrum have an excellent chance of winning. But you know, England are very beside themselves and, and it's it's gonna be a, a very difficult challenge to get that parity up front because as we all know, England do have one of the best parts in the world. Yeah, and, and really fair points that you're making there, really excellent points. Uh, there was a thing that happened, I'm going to come to Sam on this one, um, you, you know, I, I, because you were there, I know you, you attend matches and, and you'll probably agree with me on this. I was quite sort of Taken aback by by the disrespect towards the uh, the Fijian hacker, you know the sang chariot the whole way through it, and you know that wouldn't happen in the Millennium Stadium. It wouldn't happen in Dublin. Or it wouldn't happen in Murrayfield. I just don't. I just don't get it. Uh, did, did you pick up on that at all, Sam? Uh, I was absolutely disgusted with that. It was. I don't don't know why they did. It. It, it didn't make any sense to me. You know, it's not like. It was a big rivalry. I had not like they did anything to disrespect England. It's a bit well. It's like um, Matt Dawson the other day. I haven't actually seen the video because I I found it horrendous. Oh, it's horrific! So it, it's horrific. The hacker arena. Oh God, it's I, horrific. I, I, I refuse to watch it. But what is it with with England with disrespecting these nations when it comes to their traditions? I don't I don't get it. You know, they thought oh we're being really good supporters here singing. It was all over the hack. I'd ruined it. Uh, and it was swing low, wasn't it? Uh, I think that's what they sang over, if I remember. But, um, yeah, 
just I, I don't understand that. I we would never be doing that in the Millennium Stadium, no chance. So yeah, I I don't know what was going on there. No, and it would and it wouldn't happen in Murrayfield. It wouldn't happen in Dublin. Uh, whether you want to call it the Aviva or Lansdowne, that's why I just call it Dublin because it, it's always going to be Lansdowne for me. Um, uh, just too old to get away from it. Uh, but I was, you know, seriously, I sat here in disbelief, and you know. You have said about you know maybe maybe they're day trippers maybe it's a different crowd for the World Cup and, and I totally understand that but clearly in Twickenham it, w- it was England rugby supporters who 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 disrespected a challenge you know because that's what a hacker is and maybe people who are listening to this don't understand fully the hacker is is a respectful challenge that they're setting down and to totally disrespect that and I just I just thought it was really bad George do you have any thoughts on that? Um, it happened for years. Uh, just, just, I think you know, if you're at home, um, you can use every advantage you can, aren't you? You know, I've been, I've been over the years, and I've watched um, the All Blacks play at Twickenham, and you almost think you're much better off watching it on the TV because you can't actually, you know, the hack is completely drowned out. But um, you know, if you're playing at home, and and, and the crowd are going to get behind you and try and do everything they can to, um, I guess, nullify the effect of that going on, then. Um, I, I don't think you can have too many complaints. I, I think it's a shame because, you know, you know when, when you go to these games live, to be able to to sort of respect and appreciate um, what, what they're doing is great. But look, they're doing it because it's tradition and they feel it gives them an edge over you before the game. So if it's your crowd at home and they feel they want to sing over it to, to give you an edge, then, you know, I think that's kind of, um, kind of par for the course. So maybe a bit of a shame for the neutral, but... Uh, I don't think be complaining if it was if it was your side playing. I, you know, I, I think it's a just, just home ground advantage, really, isn't it? Oh, I'll tell you what. It was Ireland complaining. I'd be I'd be furious. Or it was, it was Ireland crowd that did that. We wouldn't. You know yourself. Kickers are respected. Everything is respected. And and rugby is a game of respect. And for you know the opening opening game of a World Cup. That's not, you know, and I know I, I, at my age, I'm probably more traditionalist and, and the old traditions and whatnot. It just horrified me. Stefan, yeah, what, what's your feelings on it? Are you middle of the road or, or what side do you fall down on this one? Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit disappointing to see the, the Twickenham uh, faithful, um, you know, it was almost as if they were ignoring the, the Fijian uh, war dance. Um, you know, there isn't quite the same aura around Fiji, Samoa, or Tonga as war dances as there is to us, the All Blacks as Hakka. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a part of their tradition. You know, it's, it's probably more important to them than the national anthem. It's who they are. And I, I was really disappointed to see that. But, you know, at, at the same time, um, as a Welsh fan, I, I get very annoyed when, when I see games at the Millennium Stadium and, and as Welsh, it works in any side in the world with this. Um, you know, we, we boo opposition kickers, whereas, you know, you learn it, you know, you, you're a pin drop when, when somebody kicks. So, you know, I, I don't want to sound holier than that because when we're not perfect in Wales, there's a lot of things in the machine. But, yeah, it, it was a disappointing episode. But, you know, I, I think you know, let's, not, you know, let's not get too carried away. Far worse stuff than that happens in sport and disappointing. But, you know, let's, let's, um, let's put it into perspective as well. That's cool. Listen, we're, go- we're going to move forward here, uh, actually without George, because he had a bit of an emergency, has to step out. So it's going to be the three of us. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Ireland game and, and the, the All Blacks. And I think we'll start with the All Blacks, because that was nearly another shock. And uh, I'll come to Sam first on this one, uh, give you a bit of a say. Um, the Argentinians did very well, but 
traditionally they always have a big pack. They're they're always there or thereabouts. But the All Blacks seemed, especially the first half, they did come to life. But even when they did come to life, they weren't really the All Blacks that, that we know and love so much. Um, what, what did you make of it all? Well, that game was on after the Wales versus Uruguay game. So uh, those four points during the game that I spoke of, <laughs> which equals 12. Uh, and then I watched the New Zealand-Argentina game afterwards. But uh, from my recollection of the game, uh, there was that key um, sending off of McCaw, which is uh, the yellow card, rather, uh, which is the first time I've seen him actually get punished for something in a long time, I think. Uh, but it is just one of those games where Argentina was... They managed to spoil them as much as they could, which was great to see because they've they've kind of faded away, I thought, recently. But um, it's just classic New Zealand, really, isn't it, really? And uh, they've just ground it out. And I think they're going to be similar to South Africa. They're going to iron out the creases and they're going to be a lot more of a threat as the, uh, as the pool moves on. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with you. It was just, bit, but even at the end, you know, even whenever they did get something sort of st- starting to flow. It, it just wasn't New Zealand rugby. Uh, Stefan, for, for, for you, um, what did you make? I want to I want to go to the first half, first of all, because there were, you know, they started out and there was a lovely back. I think it was very, very early on in the game. There was a lovely movement through the backs and there was a through the legs pass out to the wing and whatnot. And I thought, oh, oh here we go. They're, you know, they're going to start in style. And from that moment onwards, it just went downhill. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I think, again, you know, Argentina are said no that when I, obviously when anybody beats the All Blacks it's an upset. But if, if Argentina were to beat South Africa, Australia, England or Wales, that wouldn't be seen as an upset in my eyes anymore. Watching them in the rugby championship. Obviously they've lost a lot lot more games than, than they've won, but in the vast majority of their games they have been hugely competitive. And we've always known Argentina are the best one in the world, they've got a great driving line of very physical pack, good defence. But the one area of Argentina's game that's improved immeasurably is the handling, is their back play. Um, it, it, it annoys me, really, because, uh, you know, as a Welsh supporter, um, Argentina actually play a lot more rugby than Wales do. Uh, for example, they, they like to move the ball. Um, you know, there's some nice footballers playing the scrum, like Hernandez is, is probably playing the best rugby he has for years. And Juan Hinmoff is, as well. Sanchez is a nice footballer as well. So let, let's give Argentina credit. In, in terms of the All Blacks, um, you know, I, I don't actually think they play that badly. I think, as I said, a lot of credit's got to go to Argentina. Um, obviously, um, you know, they were rattled for large periods of the game. As Sam said, it was almost amazing to see Richie McCoy on card because he usually gets away with everything. Um, you know, Conrad Smith as well, um, again, in, into the same bin. That, that was very cynical. And it just goes to show how, how much pressure Argentina had them under and how worried they were. Um, but yeah, New Zealand, as Sam said, they lie in the creases, a bit like South Africa. Um, they will have been really pleased with the way the pack played in the second half. Um, towards the last, say, half an hour of the game, they were dominant. It was only some terrific Argentinian defence that kept them out. Um, and and o- overall, you know, New Zealand never happy with their performance. That, that That's what separates them from other sides, is, is the, the standards that they... They want to reach, you know, they could win a game with 50 or 60 points and Steve Hansen come out saying he's not happy with the performance. Just the Kiwi mentality. So, you know, I think I think they won't be 100% happy the way they play, but ultimately they, they played a very good Argentinian side and, and they got off to a good win. And they, they win, you know, I, I'm a bit weary of saying they will win every game because 
obviously you just got to look at what Japan did South Africa, but certainly um, New Zealand should win every every other game in their pool easily. And for me, they're, they're still an absolute country mind. Um, the side could beat in this World Cup. So I, I wouldn't oh. get worried if, if oh, I Oh, no, 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 Absol- absolutely not. They're, they they are still, you know, they, they didn't play to their usual standards, but they still ended up with the win. And and, and Sam, are, you want to come in here with a very good point about Sonny Bill Williams, who changed the game, I think. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, just second half. I, I, he's one of the guys who I was looking forward to seeing this World Cup the most. And it just, it always... It shows the strength and depth in the New Zealand squad, the fact that he can't get in. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He has to be on the bench, this guy. Um, but, yeah, some offloads out of the hands. He nearly set up another try on the wing. Uh, I can't bows outside him, and they just dropped it into touch. But, yeah, you know, he came off a bench, and he just transformed it. And I think uh, that's what kind of makes him stand even further from teams like us. You know, we've, we've got a good 15 that can compete, then they can bring these boys off the bench that are better than most teams starting lineup. So, you know, it's a pleasure to watch. No, and, and the re- you know, the referee got a lot of plaudits as well for, you know, possibly, um, you know, refereeing the match properly uh, and given the All Blacks no quarter. I, th- I think he, he refereed it quite fairly. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't have any problems with it. Um, I'll go across to you again, Stefan. What did you think uh, the, the two points that have been made about the, ref, the standard of refereeing and, and also the, the Sonny Bill, uh, Bill Williams introduction changed the game? Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with Sam on the Sonny Bill Williams. You know, he, he, he's just a freak of a player, isn't he? He's one of these players. He's a once in a generation player. Um, and he's just not a guy. He can do stuff that no other player can do. Um, I've always said Sonny Bill Williams is offload. His offloading game is is like it's like the Cruyff turn in football, you know. Um, once Cruyff did that famous turn, um, you know, um, everybody tried to do it. You know, and you've seen over the last three or four years since Sandro Williams, is, you know, since his first interview, and you see so many professional players even trying that offload, you know, from the conduct area. You know, he's he just freaking. It was just that moment in the game where Han who came off uh, to be replaced by Sandro Williams. You know, in, in that, that was you know a world fifteen in in, in uh, sorry world eleven in soccer taking off Messi and replacing him with Ronaldo. You know, it's the, the strength and depth they've got is absolutely ridiculous. Um, some of the, some of the players not even that haven't even made the World Cup squad. Um, likes likes of um, Israel Dag, um, Charles Charles, Charles Pietau, who I'm sure as Alistair you're looking forward to seeing play um, next season. You know, some of these players would. I consider both them players world class players, and then they can't even get in the squad. So that just goes to show the strength and depth in terms the standard of, of refereeing. Um, it's been very mixed. Uh, I thought Wayne Barnes a very good game. I, I've always been a fan of Wayne Barnes as a ref. I know he made that holder um, against, um, you know, when he when he was ref in the All Blacks against France in, in 2007. But by and large, um, Yes, a lot of stick from West Street, for example, but by and large, he's a very good referee. He, he tends to leave the game flow. He, he's quite accurate. And um, that's all I want from a referee. And, and he's also a ref that's not afraid to make tough decisions, uh, and, unlike some other refs. Um, I, I watched the, for example, I watched um, the Georgia against Tonga game, and um, I was impressed with standard referee in that game as well. You know, Nigel Wins is a great referee. But the, there was one moment in that game where, where Tonga had a line out. Um, it was a nice little move, and uh, it appeared that the Tonga player has scored. But but the um, linesman put his, put his flag up and um, said that the pass was forward, and uh, they looked at the team more quick, and it was clearly forward. 
And, and, and that, that's the biggest issue I've got. It's not so much the referees, it's the linesman. You know, the, the TMO will, will come into action because the ref asks him to uh, in the vast majority of cases. And a lot of the time, they, most of the time, they make the right decisions. But, you know, I, I, I just think the standard of, of the, of the um, assistant referees and, and the linesmen is just not good enough. You know, a referee does a tough job, man. You know, they, they can't see everything. And, you know, they, they really do need the the linesmen to, to stand up and and, uh, and help them out. And I just, it, it's not just the World Cup, you know, the Pro 12, but we're all... Um, I th- I'm sure we all, we'd all agree the standard referee in our competition is nothing short of a disgrace. And a lot of that isn't because of the referees. It's, it's, it's because of, of the linesmen um, not helping them and, and flagging up petty decisions and petty incidents and half of them aren't even right. But, yeah, um, the, the, one, the one shocking decision I, I think I've seen in this World Cup was um, in, in the England game, um, obviously when Bonnie Paula scored the, the bonus one try, which could be crucial, I have no issue with the ref um, awarding the try on the basis of whether he grounded the ball. The likelihood is that he did ground the ball. But there was two clear knock-ons in the build-up to that. And also, what Johnny May did going into the contact was technically illegal. You cannot jump into a tackler. That, that, that's illegal. Yet, the TMO didn't pick that up. He didn't pick the knock-ons up. And I want to know why. You know, It's just unacceptable. They've got, they've got the technology there. I'm sure that, you know, the three of us could see watching on our sofas, you know, that, that, that some of the decisions in that game was an absolute joke. Yeah, the TMO's got, got the, you know, the benefit of, of all, all, his, all his technology, and he couldn't go back at least one phase to see that, the, you know, the English player knocked it off and that Johnny May had jumped into, um, into the tackle, which is illegal. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very frustrating as well. But I think it was, uh, you know, the question, it all comes down, the TMOs are, are, don't get me wrong, fantastic technology and it has brought the game forward. But it all depends on what question they're asked because they can, and I think this is what you're hinting at here. I think, as, as I recall, if my memory serves me correct, he was asked, try yes or no. Uh, if he'd have been asked, is there any reason why I can't award a try? Then that, that might have been a different, uh, a different question and they might have looked at the knock-ons. Sorry, can I try to make a point? Um, yeah. I, I do agree with you. Um, obviously, a lot of it is the question that the ref asks. But how many times have we seen it, not just in test matches, in, in any match, you know, the game is going fine, and then the referee gets a message in his, um, in his earphone from the team all saying, oh, there's an incident happened there, there's an incident happened there. Well, why didn't the team all do that? Why didn't he go into... Um, uh, Yaku Piper's you and say there's a knock on you, two clear knock ons. You know, it, the consistency is, is not there in international rugby or in professional rugby. That does need to be improved on, in my opinion. No, that that's that really is a fair comment. Uh you know, it it, it, it does spoil the spectacle to a degree. Um for you know, it, it's wonderful technology when used correctly, but you know, you as you say, you need the officials that are down there on the ground um, to, to, to put the right questions forward, number one, and also you're looking for the proactiveness of uh, of the TMO in informing the referee that there may have been an incident. Um, I think that's an excellent point that you've made. But listen, we'll leave the all backs behind because, uh, as I say, I've got Andrew coming on on Friday for a pod, so so I'm sure we'll go in depth on that. Um, I'll go closer to home, closer to my own heart, um, the Irish, uh, who I thought did... You know, it was it, it was just about right for me uh, for an opening game at a World Cup against Canada. 
Um, you, you know, we had Paul Connell Sinbind, and during those 10 minutes, um, we were the team that looked most likely to score. And, and for me, that, that's, that's the huge thing out of, out of this game. Um, Sexton was excellent. Um, a, a couple of, a couple of wayward kicks. But, but the platform's always there. The movement through the backs is there. The pack look cohesive. I, from from an Irish point of view, I, I'm totally happy. Um, I, I'm 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 not overly, you know, I'm not saying we're going to go the distance or anything. But but for one game in, from an Irish perspective, I am totally happy. How how did how did you guys see it going? I'll give Sam a, a rattle at this one. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. Really, a bit different to the Wales game. You know, the, the scores are similar, but I think Canada are a much better side than Uruguay personally. Um, and we actually saw. Ireland actually showed some good phases of play. They got the key players actually functioning, the backs working well. So, you know, I think much better start than us uh, when it comes to the World Cup. Um, it was nice to see a new Scarlet winger, Nick, a try for Canada, though. Uh, sorry about that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, in general, I think Ireland are looking really strong. And, uh, you know, I think you, you might just upset a few teams this World Cup. No, I, I, I'm tr- Sam. I'm trying not to get myself too far forward with it. For me, it's one game at a time. It's getting out of the pool, and 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 if you want my real focus, our our history suggests we need to get past a quarter final. Uh, we've never done that. Go on, get uh, carried away. No, I'm not going to get carried away because go there's on, a number. Go on. <laughs> Wait to tell you, I did this in 2007. Because I was at the 2007 World Cup, I was at the, the the France game and the Argentina game. Oh Jesus, it was it was horrific, and I really thought this was uh, Comical Eddie's golden generation. And at that stage, we believed them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I have much, much, much uh, m- more confidence in Smith. He's he's a perfectionist, uh, and 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 my confidence is in him in in building the right way. I am a little concerned about France. Uh, they didn't start particularly well, but they grew into the game. We we don't need nobody in this panel needs told what the French are capable of on on any given day. We're also very well aware where well aware I spit out the bricks uh, of what they're capable of uh, when travelling and how bad they can be. But I, I I do think I'm confident we're going to beat them. But it's just way the way the pools work out after that. My first priority is getting out of the pool. I don't really see much of a problem with that. Um, but Stefan, what, what what did you make of them? Of France, uh, starting with Ireland. You know, oh, what, 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 uh, were you impre- were you impressed with the job they did? Or you know, with with the back line, with the kicking, uh, with the pack. What, what, what was your thoughts? Yeah, it was a very professional performance. I, I think we're touching the point um, when when talking about the Wales Uruguay game. Um, the one area I was, I was frustrated with Wales was um, you know, their accuracy and their handling skills. Um, with Ireland, they, they just seem so comfortable with the ball. And uh, obviously, you know, any side coached by Joe Smith is, is a side that likes to play football. Um, you know, you, you've got um, a fairly strong pack. Um, your scrum is, is fairly good as well. We all know you've got great driving line out. Um, Sean O'Brien being back and fit is yeah, he's one of the best back rovers in the world, in my opinion. That's huge. Um, Sex and pull the strings, um, and yeah, it was, it was a, you know a very good performance. Obviously, Canada weren't great; they, they weren't very competitive. I know they would have been better in the second half, but Ireland had taken their foot off the gas then. But it, yeah, all in all, it was a satisfying start. And in terms of the pool, um, the France it amazes me really. And, you know, France have been very poor for for the last four years. 
and uh, they have a couple of good results in the warm-up games, and suddenly they contend as again. But as you said, we all know the, the history of France in, in the World Cup, and they've got the players. But in the Italy game, I thought that was a really poor game. Um, it was air stood from both sides, really. Uh, referee um, in the, the scrums of Chambers. France France showed um, showed showed some moments of brilliance, and um, you know that that got them the win. But I think Ireland um, are far fitter side than France. Obviously, France are a side that can beat Ireland, but um, for me, um, you know, Ireland have won back to back Six Nations. You know, they've. As you said, you know they they nearly beat the All Blacks a couple of years back. They're phenomenal in that game. They should have won that game. They also don't mention Spain. that one. Just just leave well, that one alone. We're not going there. <laughs> yeah, they, but you know the point is if, if they can reach those levels again, which they can, then for me, I'm not. I know you don't want to get carried away, but Ireland are contenders to win this World Cup. You know, make, make no bone, bones about it. If they get out to the pool, which they will, um, well, they should do anyway. Um, you know, they should be on the right side of the draw. And then they get every chance of making the final at least. So, early days, but um, you know, I'm very impressed with what I've been seeing from Ireland over the past two years. And yeah, good, good start to the campaign. What, what did you make of Michelak? Do you think he he, he played well? Um, I think Michelak's probably in, in the best form he's been for a while. To be honest, you. Um, he's, that's he's why all... I'm asking. <laughs> that's that's exactly what it feels, Devin. That's why that's why I'm posing the question. I was very impressed with him. He, he's. You know, it it shocks me really. I I um I was watching um, one of the warm up games against England, and um you know the the commentator said that you know, Michelak made his best debut back in two thousand one. You know, it seems like he's been around forever. Uh, he's been in and out of the side for a long time. Um, you know, you could make the argument that that is um you know that's down to him being a very inconsistent player, and he is. You know, we've seen games where he's just gone to bits completely, and he's lost his side side the game. But it's also a sign that coaches don't want to give up on him because he's such a mercurial talent. He's when he's on form, he is a real handful for defences. You know, and I think the difference in Michelak's players, he's always been a player that can, you know, beat people in terms of his running game. He's always been a player that can create space for those around him. But, you know, it's whether he's he's been able to do it under pressure, whether he's been able to take the right options, you know, whether on the back foot he can perform. And the big difference recently um with Michelak is he has been doing that. Now, I don't know how long that's going to last because we all know that Michelak's the sort of player you can play um, six great games and then the following week he'll be absolutely rubbish. But um, certainly, yeah, he's he's playing well at the moment and uh, he's a key player for France. No, I, I, I couldn't disagree with that. Listen, we're, we're pushing on with time and, and I just want to wrap this up just with, with opening the floor to you both uh, and I'll uh, say I'll come to Sam next. Just anything else uh, anything else that has caught your attention? Any of the stories that you, you might want to bring forward? Um, the floor is yours, Sam. Far away. All right. Uh, put me on the spot there. Um, the the team more thing, I didn't, didn't get to mention anything on that. There's been a lot of people being negative about the TMO coming in and I totally agree with Stefan there um, there's a lot of mistakes being made and a lot of inconsistencies uh, regards to it as well but on the whole I'd much prefer to make the correct decision in the end than not and you know, at the moment people are complaining about it adding time onto the games apparently it's averaging 53 minutes a half now instead of 40 um, but end of the day I think we'll eventually get used to it. So, um, you know, I think it's something that we just got to get used to. End of the day, we need to get the right decisions. And they have promised that they're going to 
try and speed up the actual process um, in regards to the replays. You know, sometimes it's really obviously a try and they watch it 15 times, you know. Apparently that's going to stop. Uh, but one thing I was going to ask, you boys know whether the TMO is that the home team's ref? What do you mean is the home team's ref? As, as in, as in, is he actually one of the normal uh, referee lineup, or is he just another guy uh, with them? Because sometimes the decisions what, what seem mean? to be very home home related. If you understand? Yeah, I, I get what you mean, but I, I'm pretty sure with the the neutral, um, you know, Sean Velsman was the team or um, in um, you know the England Fiji game. He's South African, and I'm not sure with the team was in the other games this weekend, but. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have to be neutral. Um, obviously, they would like have to in, be in the pro You'd expect so in the World Cup. Yeah, we've had Derek Bevan and things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. Obviously, in a team, I'd much rather have a team more than no team. Obviously, if it, if it's going to take a little bit more time of game, I'd rather make the right call and the wrong call. It's just my point was that a lot of the times, team more make team more make the wrong call and um, and then he was incorrectly. Uh, not not every game, a lot of games are great, but certainly I, I just thought in the Fiji game, um, you know, I, th- I thought that um, you know it wasn't a great performance by either the ref or the, or the team, or but yeah, obviously they are important. But the one the one other thing I point would like to make, well, one of the biggest stories this week that, that hasn't really been given much attention is is Eddie Jones leaving leaving Japan after the World Cup. Um, he's he's been of course the Stormers in South Africa um, in the Super uh, well, Super 15 anymore, Super 18 if. If the Japanese and uh, the Southern Kings get get the go ahead, but he's put a hell of a lot of work into Japanese rugby. He's, um, you know, the way they were coached in the weekend, the quality of the rugby is huge testament to Eddie. What he's done is, is absolutely phenomenal, and he's got to be one of the best coaches in the world. And in the CV uh, before going to Japan, proves that. But you know, he he stated that um, he doesn't feel that Japanese rugby can push on as it should because there's a lot of conflicting interests in Japan. And that's a huge shame if that happens because there's a huge amount of potential there, you know, with, with you know, they've got a vibrant domestically with a lot of big big names, you know, Israel Flowers going out there, for example. Um, so that that's gonna be great. And obviously this win should be used as you know, to catapult Japanese rugby forward and obviously the host nations. But I, I just that that's a strange one for me, Eddie Jones leaving Japan. You know, you'd have thought that after the, the scenes at the weekend, you know, people said it was the greatest upset in the history of rugby. No debate there it was, but that's an understatement. That that victory in the weekend was one of the greatest upsets in the history of sport. You know, as Sam said earlier, in in football you can have upsets. You know, um, you can have one side goalkeeper being outstanding, and then you have a fluke going goal in rugby. The margin of errors, you know, is far. There's a there's a finer line between success and failure. And Japan had to deal with a a very physical South African side. That, that, I don't have the stats in front of me, but they would have been a lot lot bigger than Japan. The, you know, Freddie Jones of course decided to beat the Springboks. Um, beating Wales, I know second generation, the beating Wales recently as well was was huge. And if if what he's saying is right, that the, there isn't a there is a conflict of interest stopping Japanese drug fulfilling its obvious potential, that's very sad. And you know, I, I just hope that they can um, get a, a placement in uh, another big game, hopefully, and um, they can kick on because that that is uh, a really um. A sort of shock, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, and you, you know, as I say, as neutrals, it was lovely to watch them. And and 
you know, Eddie Jones' stock is now probably at the highest it's ever been. <laughs> you know, uh, he'll, he'll get offered a good job on the, on the back of it. There's no two ways about it. But I, I'm, I'm hoping that they do well throughout the tournament. But listen, guys, we're, we're, we've reached really our limit of time. Uh, I'd just like to thank you both and George, who had the go, for coming on. And, and you know, we're going to be here throughout the tournament. Um, so we'll be talking to you both again. So just thanks for that. And before you, we go, number one, where can we find you on Twitter? And secondly, any plugs that you have at the moment? Sam, do you want to go ahead? Uh, yeah, my Twitter is at Sambo Evans, S-A-M-B-O-Evans. And uh, I haven't really got anything up at the moment. I am writing an article for Anfield Index now, so just to look out for that one, really. That's cool. And Stefan, where can we find you on Twitter? And I know you do a bit of writing, so feel free to plug away. Yeah, my um, my Twitter is uh, at Stefan underscore Thomas one. Um, you know, if you you want to give me a tweet and there's some interesting rugby discussions going on on my page, they're quite they're quite lively. You know, some big debates uh, most of the time. Um, and um, yeah, I also write for Rucktails.com, so we'll be doing some work during the World Cup. So. Um, if you if you want to give my articles a read, not just mine but anybody else, and the rights to them, um, you know that will be brilliant. That's all good. Listen, I, as I say, I my name's Dave Caron. You can find me at DaveRN66 on Twitter. Um, also, we have our own um, Twitter account for this podcast. Uh, it's at AI Sinbin. Uh, give us a follow there. And as I say, follow the guys because I know George and, and Stefan do come up with some great rugby stuff and it's well worth following. Uh, as I say, the only th- other thing I want to plug is, is the AI app. And, and basically it's free to download. That's where we are. You'll find us under the other, other sports tabs. We don't have our own tab, but we're in other sports. You'll find us under rugby. As I say this is our third podcast. We're recording another one again on, on Friday. Um, so that should be out, you know, late, late end of the weekend or, or Monday morning. And we, we are going to be doing two pods a week going forward. Tell your friends, give us a plug. You know, we're, we're going to keep it as lighthearted as possible. We've got a lot of the nations covered. I know this was a very Welsh feeling pod, but there's nothing wrong with that. All Celts alike. Uh, Listen, again, just thanks to the guys and thank you all for listening to us and we'll be back very soon. Goodbye. Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.